Hello, this is our second dig a bit for our new study of the God of all comfort. I want us to look just for a minute at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you're in the book, we're on page 2. And you had a, an article to read here from Wayne Jackson in the Christian Courier called Corinth, a Troubled Church. This is choosing one of many of our list. I'm going to look at my list here that I made from 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I listed 21 specific issues or problems that the church in 1 Corinthians, according to the address there, was experiencing 21 different problems that were causing sin and division in the church at Corinth when Paul was writing the first Corinthian letter. And then about eight months later, he wrote second Corinthians. And we're going to notice something from both of those chapters as we talk just for a minute about the sin that was prevalent in first Corinthians chapter five, the sin that was occurring in first Corinthians chapter five. Paul said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Fornication is illicit sexual activity. And this is not just illicit sexual activity as if that wasn't, of course, wrong enough, bad enough, sinful enough. But this is a kind of fornication that is not so much as named among the Gentiles. You're supposed to be Christians and the heathen people around you who are worshiping the idols don't even do this. That's what Paul was saying. And he said, one of you has his father's wife. That is, he was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother and you are puffed up or you are glorying and have not mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you you're not trying to get the sin out. You're not mourning about the sin, but you're glorying in the sin. I can hear the words of some today. Why can't we just be more like Jesus and stop judging one another and stop pointing out the sins of other people? We all have sins. Let's just be more tolerant. Let's just be more full of grace and let's let grace abound here and stop pointing out nitpicking the faults of other people let's and that was something like what had to have been occurring because we have blatant sin and we have looking the other way and doing nothing about it verse 3 Paul said I truly as absent in body I'm not there but present in spirit I have judged already as though I were present concerning them, him who has done this deed. By the way, here we have a clear passage where Paul judged. Sometimes there is righteous judgment. That's another lesson for another day. But Paul had already judged that this man was guilty. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit is there with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, which is more important. The flesh or the spirit. We need to destroy this 
lust that's in his flesh so that his soul can be saved. Your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? This is going to infiltrate the church and the church is going to become licentious. The church is going to become, if not sexually sinful, the church is going to become tolerant of sexual sin. In fact, they were already on that path. Purge out, therefore, your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So purge out the old leaven, that you might be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. We have the unleavened bread of Christ's Passover sacrifice, just like they had unleavened bread in the Old Testament at the Passover. And if they had leaven in their bread, it would have doomed them. It would have made them unpleasing to God. They would have died along with the Egyptians. But now we have the unleavened bread that has been given us, the unleavened pure. I'm talking about the purity of the church. And if we let leaven in the church, then it will infiltrate the whole lump. So this sin had to be dealt with. So I want us to first notice, I'm, I'm, I just have five little points from this chapter. The first one is that there were two sins. One was the fornication, the actual sexual sin. The second one was the pride about permitting it, about letting, we're full of grace. We don't point out, we don't judge. We don't point out sin, we are full of grace. So two sins were the man's fornication and the pride about permitting it to go on there in that congregation. So the remedy then in verses 9, 11, and 13 is to deliver this person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In verses 11 and 13, go ahead to tell us that it means that if a man is called a brother, he is a part of a congregation and he's involved in fornication, we're not going to keep company with him. We are going to put him apart from our fellowship from our company and that's what verses 11 and 13 have to say about this withdrawal if you will of fellowship i would refer you also also to second thessalonians 3 verse 6 now we command you brethren in the name of our lord jesus christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother who walks disorderly and not after the tradition which you received of us so withdrawal again is mentioned there in 2 Thessalonians. So the remedy for the sin, 3 verse 6, so the remedy for sin, for those two sins, is delivering to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, for the destruction of the works of the flesh. And Paul says in Galatians 5, they are manifest and they include adultery and fornication lasciviousness. So number three, what's the ultimate goal? Why are we going to put this person away from us? Well, it's the destruction of the ungodly fleshly lusts. Number four, the result then, oh, we have to go over to the book of comfort to 2 Corinthians to find out what the result was of that withdrawal of fellowship. And when we go over to 2 Corinthians and we look in chapter 2, we find there, beginning in verse 5, If any have caused grief, he hasn't grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. 
sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted by many, by the many. So that contrarywise, or on the other hand, you ought rather to forgive him now and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Verse 8, confirm your love toward him. For this is the reason that I wrote, that I might know the proof of you, whether you're obedient in all things. And to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. Just like Christ is forgiving you, you forgive him. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how subtle the devil is. And now it's time to turn around and forgive this brother who has shown now that he is filled with godly sorrow. The result apparently here is that the renegade, the rogue brother, had repented. Eight months went by and Paul is able to write, I want you to forgive him. But not only, now this is point number five, the aftermath of his repentance is that brethren, faithful brethren, are to forgive him and to, I love it, verse 5, to comfort him. That word comfort is our word, parakaleo, to comfort him, to offer him a soothing, to offer him a balm, to offer him a joy, to offer him a relaxation of tension, to comfort him, parakaleo. There is great comfort in the forgiveness of our brethren. Cindy Colley probably knows that as well as anybody who's hearing her words today. There is great comfort when our brothers and sisters forgive us. Now, there was a prerequisite, of course, to that comfort. The prerequisite is found in 1 Corinthians 5. If I'm refusing to repent, then faithful brethren are going to say, wait, we can't let this harm the whole church. And we want to make you, we want to shock you and make you think about the seriousness of sin. And so we're going to obey our Lord and we're going to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the fleshly lust so that the soul might ultimately be saved. The prerequisite is godly sorrow. And the prerequisite takes the cooperation of a congregation with its leaders to say, we are not going to have fellowship with this sin. And then, upon the repentance and the godly sorrow of the brother who was caught up in the sin, we are to compensate him again by saying, oh, don't be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. This is over now. We have forgiven you and we offer you parakaleo. We will study more about the comfort that comes when we are forgiven. But for now, I wanted to make those simple five points about 1 Corinthians 5. There were two sins. Number one, the fornication and the glorying. Number two, there was a remedy, deliverance to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Number three, there was an ultimate goal, and that is that sin might be 
uh, relinquished, sin might be put to death in this man. Number four, the result was that he repented and put away his sin. And number five, the aftermath of that repentance among the congregation, among the brothers and sisters was both forgiveness and parakaleo comfort. All right, I hope you have a great day.